Let's Be Frank is a podcast centered on interpreting the life of Benjamin Franklin and the times that shaped his thoughts and soul. Some content may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings and salutations, dear listener. Welcome to another installment of Let's Be Frank, an auditory almanac for the curious mind, with me, your faithful friend and host, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. And for purposes of good order, this podcast is composed of several sources associated with Ben Franklin's life knit together with original writing to collect it all into one narrative on a cohesive theme. Today's episode is about stimulating conversation. It's about learning together, and it's about the revolutionary power of the coffee house. Dear listener, in my advancing age, I tend these days to find the best company in solitude. Those amongst you who know me well will know this is a far-reaching phenomenon from the social nature that I have conducted the majority of my life. This morning, I awoke, and the city was surprisingly still. Indeed, the noise from my window being little more than the twittering of birds may have convinced me well that I was in the English countryside, not the usual reminder of the busy Philadelphia street that so often provides the musical accompaniment to my thoughts. Given this unusual reprieve from the noise, I would eventually find myself under the shade of the great mulberry tree in my yard, Uh, This spot is often the chosen place for extolling wisdom, stimulating conversation, and time with friends. But on this particular morning, this morning, it was just myself. Peter was good enough to lay out a small table, china, and a fresh pot of piping hot coffee, brewed to the exact specifications that I favor. And there I sat, dear listener, Steam rising in ghostly rivulets off my cup, the morning air soothing upon my skin, and there, in that social spot, sitting in solitude, I sat in perfect stimulating contentment. Which led me to the subject of today's installment, a place where I have derived a great degree of education and progress, whether in company or in solitude whether engaging in conversation or simply spectating other people's conversation. A place that did more to further the age of reason than the House of Commons or the Halls of Congress combined. I am talking, my beloved Junto, of the coffee houses of Europe and North America. Now, my beloved Junto, where do we begin in discussing these penny universities, these fountains of enlightened discourse, Let's begin with their history, how they rose to prominence, how they rattled the crowns of kings, and finally, how they helped to shape my life. The coffee house, as we know it now, traces its origins back to the Ottoman Empire in the 16th century. In Turkey, the Kabahena, as they were called there, quickly became popular gathering places for people to socialize, to discuss politics, religion, to play music 
and very quickly they spread to other parts of the Islamic world, to Egypt, to Syria, and eventually to Europe. The first coffee house in London, the Angel, was opened in 1652 by a Greek man named Pasqua Rosé. The coffee houses that followed were known for their distinct character and atmosphere. They were often small, with low ceilings and furnished with simple wooden tables and chairs. The walls were decorated with paintings, prints, maps, and the establishment was typically lit with candles and oil lamps. Coffee houses quickly became known as places of intellectual discourse and political debate. They were frequented by writers, artists, politicians, who would gather to discuss the news and the events of the day. The coffee house became an important part of London's social and cultural scene, and many of the most influential figures of the time could be found there. Now, these coffee houses throughout London, like their ancestors in Turkey, would draw different clientele, each with their own drives, but all driven by the quiet and contemplative atmosphere cultivated within the rooms. Men of business might favor Jonathan's coffee house. Intellectuals, adjacent to the law, might favor the Grecian. Or at Buttons, in Covent Garden, a person may drop a piece of writing to be published in The Guardian, a local newspaper. What spawned from the coffee house was an intellectual economy where ideas were brewed and distilled and redistributed among the tables, cups, and saucers to the wider world. So much wisdom was bartered and brokered within these walls that coffee houses earned the eponym Penny Universities because of the depth of knowledge that might be acquired simply by sitting and listening. And in the midst of these years... From their first foundations in 1650 to the height of the American Revolution in the 1770s, the Age of Enlightenment was born. And if the political foundations of the American Revolution were born in the halls of government, the soul of the ideas were brewed in coffee houses. A greater diversity of opinion than had ever been seen before. Well, maybe not so diverse in opinion. Because unlike the tavern that was required by law to provide food, lodging, and other necessities of life, these coffee houses remained exclusive only to men. Women found their way to add to the exchange of ideas of the time, one even making their sentiments to this coffee craze publicly known in a 1763 address. Women's Petition Against Coffee representing to public consideration the grand inconveniences accruing to their sex from the excessive use of that drying, enfeebling liquor. For besides, we have reason to apprehend and grow jealous that men, by frequenting these Stygian tap-houses, will usurp on our prerogative of tattling and soon learn to excel us in talkativeness, a quality wherein our sex has ever claimed preeminence. For here, like so many frogs in a puddle, they sup muddy water and murmur in significant notes till half a dozen of them out-babble an equal member of us at gossiping, talking all at once in confusion, and running from point to point at insensibly and as swiftly as ever the ingenious pole-wheel could run divisions on the bass viol. Yet in all their prattle every one abounds in his own sense, as stiffly as a Quaker at 
with a late Barbican dispute, and submits the reasons of no other mortal, so that there being neither moderator nor rules observed, you may as soon fill a court-pot with syllogisms as profit by their discourses. Certainly, our countrymen's palates are become as fanatical as their brains. How else is it possible they should apostatize from the good old primitive way of ale-drinking to run a-whoring after such a variety of destructive foreign liquors to trifle away their time, scald their chops, and spend their money, all for a little base, black, thick, nasty, bitter, stinking, nauseous puddle-water? Yet as all witches have their charms, so this ugly Turkish enchantress by certain invisible wires attracts both rich and poor, so that those that have scarce two pence to buy their children bread must spend a penny each evening in their insipid stuff. Nor can we send one of our husbands to call a midwife, or borrow a glister pipe, but he must stay an hour by the way of drinking his two dishes and two pipes." This somewhat satirical perspective survives to the modern day, along with several other writings for the coffee house, some of them quite positive. The following is from a 1674 broadside, speaking of the rules of the coffee house and the general benefit of all of it to mankind. A brief description of the excellent virtues of that sober and wholesome drink called coffee and its incomparable effects in preventing or curing most diseases incident to human bodies. When the sweet poison of the treacherous grape had acted on the world a general rape, drowning our very reason and our souls, in such deep sea of large o'erflowing bowls that new philosophers swore they could feel the earth to stagger as her sons did reel, when foggy ale, levying up mighty trains of muddy vapors, had besieged our brains, and drink, rebellion, and religion too, made men so mad they knew not what to do. Then heaven, in pity to effect our cure, and stop the ragings of that calenture, first set amongst us this all-healing berry, at once to make us both sober and merry, Arabian coffee, a rich cordial, to purse and persons beneficial, which of so many virtues doth partake its countries called Felix for its sake. From the rich chambers of the rising sun, where arts and all good fashion first begun, where earth with choicest rarities is blessed, and dying phoenix builds her wondrous nest, coffee arrives, that grave and wholesome liquor that heals the stomach, makes the genius quicker, relieve the memory, revives the sad, and cheers the spirits without making mad. For being a cleansing quality, by nature warm, attenuating, and dry, its constant use, the sullenest griefs will rout, removes the dropsy, gives ease to the gout, and soon dispatcheth whatsoever it finds. Scorbitic humors, hypochondriac winds, rheums, sticks, palsies, jaundice, coughs, catars, and whatsoe'er with nature levieth wars, it help digestion want of appetite, and quickly sets consumptive bodies right, a friendly intercourse it doth maintain, 
Between the heart, the liver, and the brain, nature's three chiefest wheels, whose jars we know, threaten the whole microcosm with o'erflow. In spring, when peccant humors increase most, and summer, when the appetite is lost, in autumn, when raw fruits diseases breed, and winter time too cold to purge or bleed, do but this rare Arabian cordial use. And though mayst all the doctor's slops refuse, hush them dull, quacks your mountbanking cease, coffee's a speedier cure for each disease. How great its virtues are, we hence may think, the world's third part makes it their common drink. The amorous gallant, whose hot reins do fail, stung by conjunction with the dragon's tail, let him but tipple here, shall find his grief discharged without the sweating tub's relief nor have the ladies reason to complain, as fumbling doolittles are apt to fame, coffee's no foe to their obliging trade, by it men rather are more active made. Tis stronger drink, and base adulterate wine enfeebles vigour, and makes nature pine, loaden with which the impotent sot is led, like a sowed hogshead to a miss's bed. But this rare, settled brain prevents those harms, conquers old sherry and brisk claret charms. Sack, I defy thee with an open throat, whilst trusty coffee is my antidote. Methinks I hear the poets repent they have been so long idolaters to that sparkling queen. For well they may perceive tis on her score Apollo keeps them all so cursed poor. Let them avoid her tempting charms, and then we hope to see the wits grown alderman. In brief, all you whose health's rich treasures prize, and court not ruby noses or bleared eyes, but own sobriety to be your drift, and love at once good company and thirst, to wine no more make wit and coin a trophy, but come each night and frolic here in coffee. It's quite eloquent. Uh, on the same broadside, you will find the rules and orders of the coffee house. Enter, sirs, freely, but first, if you please, peruse our civil orders, which are these. First, gentry, tradesmen, all are welcome hither, and may without affront sit down together. Preeminence of place none here should mind, but take the next seat that he can find. Nor need any, if finer persons come, rise up for to assign to them his room. To limit men's expense, we think not fair, but let him forfeit twelve pence that shall swear. He that shall any quarrel here begin shall give each man a dish to atone the sin. And so shall he, whose compliments extend so far to drink in coffee to his friend, let noise of loud disputes be quite forborne. No maudlin lovers here in corners mourn, but all be brisk and talk but not too much, on sacred things let none presume to touch, nor profane scripture, or saucily wrong affairs of state with an irreverent tongue. Let mirth be innocent, and each man see that all his jests without reflection be. To keep the house more quiet, and from blame, we banish hence cards, dice, and every game. Nor can allow of wagers that exceed five shillings, which oft times much trouble breed, let all that's lost or forfeited be spent in such good liquor as the house doth vent, and customers endeavour to their powers for to observe still seasonable hours. Lastly, let each man what he calls for pay 
and so you're welcome to come every day. And by the time I took residence in London at my house on Craven Street, the city boasted over 500 coffee houses, and I made a good habit of frequenting many of them upon regular occasions. Batson's Coffee House in Cornhill, to the Smyrna Coffee House on Pall Mall, St. Paul's upon alternate Thursdays, and, of course, the Grecian in the Strand. Now, dear listener, I never had the privilege of a formal education, so I think it's fair to say, my beloved Junto, that whatever wit I may possess, or whatever wisdom posterity may give me credit for, it was all shaped in possession of good company and places comfortable to meet. It was the case for the first Junto I was a part of, common tradesmen seeking to perfect themselves in the world around them, a formative, dear listener, but no comparison to our Junto here. And it was true in London. So, dear listener, what lesson is brewing for us for today's installment? Now, oftentimes, dear listener, we study history to discover the ways in which we are different from the past. But other times, we find just as much substance in the consistencies of time. When people need a place to think, when we are desperate for a place to be alone with good company, when we are in strange new places and need to feel at home with ourselves, chances are, in your time, as in mine, a little coffee shop awaits around the corner, offering you the chance to be at home with yourself, a chance to learn, a chance to grow a chance to perfect yourself, and have a sudden surge of energy while you're doing it. I think today's theme is the perfect one to talk about an exciting endeavor we're planning for this upcoming Saturday. Embracing the spirit of coffee houses, my associate, uh, the young Mr. Austin, is planning his first online discussion for the subscribers of our Patreon. While these monthly gatherings are typically reserved for members of only certain tiers, We've decided our inaugural one will be open to all levels of our Patreon. Tears start at only $5 a month. If you've enjoyed Let's Be Frank and want to assist in our mission of empathetically connecting the present with the past, well, now is the perfect time to further ingrain and solidify your role in our Junto. And join us this Saturday for a coffeehouse chat. Talk about the show. Talk about history. I haven't the faintest idea what he's going to talk about, but he's an engaging fellow, and I'm certain all will have a good time. Now, to add to the excitement, we're doing our third listener giveaway. The next member of our Junto to sign up for our Patreon at any level will receive in the post a year's supply of Franklin's Finest Coffee from our friends at Ready Hour, a value of over $100, as well as our eternal gratitude and affections. You can find the link to our Patreon in the show notes section of the show. As always, nothing is expected. I am rich enough merely for your company. That's all for today's installment. Would that we had more hours in the day, but as always, we have nothing but time between us. Resources and images from this week's episode can be found in the journal at www.bfranklinlive.com. If you like the show, subscribe and stay up to date with all the latest gossip and news, and do me the kindness of leaving a review. You can follow us on Instagram at bfranklinlive, and, dear listener, spread the word. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your horse, I don't care— 
Let's make our intellectual junto grow. And now, dear listeners, our time together must come to an end. Fare thee well. And always remember, when you're good to others, you are best to yourself. Until we meet again, I remain your humble and obedient servant, Dr. Benjamin Franklin, printer. Stay curious, my friends.